hope you guys are all celebrating some big adulting milestones this season. And you know what? Finding the perfect gift for those celebrations can be kind of tough. I have the solution over at grownupgear.com. We have adorable hats, totes, mugs, pillows, tees, and seriously, the most cozy and comfortable sweatshirts. They're all on grownupgear.com and all at affordable prices. We even now have digital gift certificates if you can't decide. Use code GROWNUP for 15% off your first order. Buying from our small business helps to support this free podcast. And you know what? We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Lower the stakes a little bit because honestly, thinking about what is my passion is the dating equivalent of like meeting somebody on OkCupid and, and then the next day your friends just keep saying, well, you know, is he your soulmate? I mean, is he the one? And it's like, oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> Give me some time. You're listening to Money Tips for Financial Grownups with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of How to Be a Financial Grownup. And you know what? When it comes to money, being a grown-up is hard, but together we've got this. Welcome, grown-up friends. You guys are in for a treat. This week's interview is someone I have been trying to get on the podcast for quite some time. It is Dory Clark. She is the author of the new book, The Long Game. It's her fourth book, actually. If you're not familiar with her and Frankly, even if you are familiar with her, you're going to be so happy to listen to this episode. You're going to get so much out of this. So Dory is a big time public speaker, thought leader, and as I mentioned, an author and so much more. We totally hit it off. She covered some great topics for us, including what we can do if we haven't found our big passion. We all talk about follow your passion, but some of us, it's not so obvious what that passion is, but Dory has a great solution. We also talked about super easy ways to up our productivity. Yes, you can have more than 24 hours in a day, apparently. And I'll tell you some of these things were obvious when Story pointed them out, but they really weren't obvious to me beforehand. So they're easy things that we can do once we know how to do them from Dory. You'll see, we were doing it all wrong. Also, we're going to talk about what we can learn from the amount of time it takes to learn to do a handstand. It was a great story and it made so much sense. If we're being honest, I, by the way, cannot do a handstand and I'm not going to put in the time to do this handstand thing, guys. But the lesson that Dory is going to give us totally works. This is all going to make sense. I know this was a little bit confusing, but just trust me, listen to the interview. Here is the long game author, Dory Clark. Hey, Dory Clark, you're a financial grown up. Bobby, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here with you. Well, I'm so glad to finally have you on. I've been a fan of yours since our mutual friend, Danielle Town, introduced us a few years ago. And at that time, started reading your books, Reinventing You, Entrepreneurial You. And you have some other ones in the mix, but most recently, The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. You can see all of the tattered pages. Congratulations. Thank you. It, it, it is amazing. It looks like a dog attacked it. So I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm glad you were that voracious with it. Well, I read it by the pool. So there was a little bit of, you know, suntan lotion and water and all that stuff. But it was truly loved, mainly because I know you as the super successful Dory Clark. You know, you're such a celebrated thought leader, but you're very vulnerable in this book. Thank you. Well, one of the things that has been challenging for me 
over the course of writing books, and this is my fourth one, is, you know, and it's not necessarily a philosophical or emotional challenge, but it's actually just overcoming training. But I started my career as a journalist, specifically a political journalist. And the thing that you learn above all else is you are not the story. You are not the interesting part of the story. You write about other people. That was the frame that I was coming from. And over the course of writing my four books, I've come to learn that actually, in terms of what connects with readers, what seems to really make an impact, that's exactly wrong. I mean, what, what we look for in the news, I think, is very different than what we look for in business or career books. And over time, the part that people seem to respond to the most strongly was actually hearing some of my own experiences. And so over the years, I've really learned to weave more about what I've done and what I've tried and what I've gone through into the books as uh, a complement to the narrative and, and the reporting that I did. So I'm really glad that you responded to that. I really did. The book is very relatable. And I think a lot of people in our grown up audience will feel the same way. You have a lot of incredible money and frankly, life tips in the book. So I want to dive right into those. I have five that I've highlighted. The first one is you talk about rethinking multitasking because multitasking has gotten a lot of pushback in recent years, but you have a different perspective. <laughs> Absolutely. So it is completely true that perhaps what we think of when it comes to multitasking is is bad. You know, that would be the equivalent of like, oh, I'm actually pretending to do a podcast interview with you, Bobby, but I'm actually checking my email. <laughs> you know, that that and that is not true. You could pull it off. <laughs> well, you know, the, the truth is if you're trying to use the same parts of your brain, something is gonna slip and it's just gonna be suboptimal all around. But something that I realized through some very meticulous time tracking studies that I did over the course of several years is that actually there are very complementary activities that you can do. I mean, some examples might be working out and listening to a professional development book or taking a walk and calling your mom or whatever the, the case is, but it's, it's two activities that you can do both of them equally well at the same time. It could be uh, cooking dinner with a friend. So you're doing a chore, but you're also visiting with someone that you want to spend time with. So during my time tracking, I actually would double count those activities if I could legitimately do both of them equally well. And I came to realize that I'm actually able to build in about 28% more time into my week by doing that. So I've become a huge fan of strategic multitasking. And what I love about that is it's the anti-workaholic mentality because it's giving you more downtime. Absolutely. It, it's really just being a little bit more thoughtful. I mean, sometimes we fritter away these moments. I mean, I, I remember, you know, back early in my career when I didn't live in New York and I had a car and I'd drive to work, you know, sometimes I just wouldn't think about it. And I'd, I'd put on top 40 radio and most of it was just listening to advertisements. I mean, that is legitimately wasted time. Whereas with a little bit more thought, you're listening to some kind of an educational podcast or, you know, like this one, or uh, you're listening to an audiobook and you're actually using that as professional development time. Number two, use jet lag for productivity. <laughs> yes. Speaking of things that we normally treat as wasted time, jet lag is often uh, top of the list. I mean, we all know when we're jet lagged, you're not going to get anything meaningful, quote unquote, done in terms of the way that we normally think of meaningful work. I mean, you're, you can't do anything detail oriented. You're propping your eyelids open. Um, you're not much 
use. But what I came to realize is that actually we can begin to think about that time differently. Now, I would never say, oh, you know, let's do your QuickBooks when you're jet lagged. That would be a bad move. But what I actually did one time, sort of inadvertently, was uh, I was jet lagged on a trip to Russia. And I ended up being able to do basically an entire year's worth of strategic planning while I was keeping myself awake at a cafe, partly because when you are jet lagged in that way, when you're sort of half sleep deprived, your brain is able to make creative associations that are not necessarily logical and linear. And I was able to be a lot more big picture about my thoughts. And it enabled me to do better strategic planning than if I actually had been well slept and in a more logical frame of mind. So I think it's, it's really about matching your energy and your state of being to the tasks that are most appropriate at that time. Number three, this one is, I love this because it's a strategy that solves the issue of should you follow your passion or should you follow what's going to make a lot of money? You say, focus on doing something interesting. Yes. What I've seen, and I'm sure you probably have too, Bobby, is that there is so much pressure in our culture to find your passion. What's your passion? You don't know what your passion is? And you know, people can, can feel kind of uh, inadequate and browbeaten at a certain point if, you, if you're not following your passion. I know a lot of people, smart, talented, hardworking people, that maybe they've reached a point where they have been working so hard and so long they might not even necessarily be sure what their passions are anymore. Like they, they've just, you know, they, like with the work and the kids, they have kind of turned that part off because it's not even something you can really uh, dwell on. And so what I wanted to do in my book, The Long Game, was to lower the stakes a little bit. Because honestly, thinking about what is my passion is the dating equivalent of like meeting somebody on OkCupid and, and then the next day your friends just keep saying, well, you know, is he your soulmate? I mean, is he the one? And it's like, oh my God, I don't know. Give me some time. <laughs> so instead of looking for the passion, instead of looking for the soulmate, what I suggest is just do what's interesting. Just explore something that seems interesting. It's a low bar, but almost all of us are at least able to tell, okay, this seems interesting to me or not. And then if it stays interesting, keep moving in that direction. And if it doesn't, it's your signal to pivot. I think that that is sometimes a, a more sane and sustainable way to begin to move in the direction of things that you care about more. And by the way, that can evolve. We're not going to go too deeply into it because I want people to read it more fully in the book. But one thing you weave throughout the book that I loved hearing about is your passion for theater, which was sort of not something you did as a kid. You weren't a theater kid on stage every day, but you started to develop it. And now it's evolving into perhaps a business. Well, I can't wait to see the rest of the story evolve. But it can be something that sort of weaves through your life through different things, even taking a comedy course, different things that you did. But in the, in the interest of moving on, we're going to go to number four, because otherwise we'll just go on a million tangents with you. Number four, ask, but wait a year first, because we do push people to go, go after that mentor, get a champion, get someone who's going to be a sponsor at work. But it's a little delicate. You say a year. That seems so long. It's true. It's true. I I like to be a little extreme in this because I think that we have kind of a cultural problem, certainly in the United States, but in many other countries as well, where we have internalized way too much the mentality of 
Well, it doesn't hurt to ask. I would like to say, actually, yes, sometimes it does hurt to ask because if you are making an inappropriate request too early in a relationship, you will destroy that relationship. Now, where people go sometimes is, is they say, oh, well, I don't want to be a wallflower. I don't want to be stupid about things. Well, the point is, it's not that you never ask. It's that you have to let a relationship evolve to the point where the ask is appropriate and contextual. I mean, I am sure this is probably the case for you, Bobby, you know, with, with your business and the media profile that you've cultivated. I certainly experienced this as well, where I will meet somebody, you know, maybe at an event, maybe we connect on LinkedIn or something like that. And then five minutes later, they're saying, oh, hey, can you, I, I see you're connected to so-and-so, you know, insert like super prominent person. Can you connect us? And it's like, wait, I don't even know anything about you. And also people don't really get this context, but like a million people are asking the same thing. I don't want to blow up my relationship by, with somebody by sending them five random people a day, you know? And so it's important to be thoughtful and to be judicious. And, you know, and it's not like ask them anything. If it's like, oh, Bobby, I really like that sweater. Where did you get it? Fine, ask them that. But I'm talking about wait a year before you ask somebody for something that involves political capital. And when you do that, you're able to establish a genuine relationship so that they understand that you are not in it for the wrong reasons and you are not in it to use them. Right. And using is very different from mutually beneficial friendships. There's nothing wrong with that. The fifth one, my fifth tip I want you to talk about is patience leads to a payoff, but it's not just patience. You have to not be passive. That's a lot of P words, but yes, patience leads to the payoff, but don't be passive. Yes. In the long game, I have a concept that I write about called strategic patience. And this is something that is that is dear to my heart because, frankly, from the time that I've been a little kid, patience has never been my strong suit. I have not been very good at it, but it is something that I have had to learn over time. I think the part that used to bother me about patience was that it did seem so passive. I mean, the way that it gets talked about oftentimes, you know, and at least how my mom would talk about it is like, oh, it's just, just going to sit back, you know, good things will happen. Just, just be patient. Things work out. And I, I can't help it. I'm a little more type A than that. I like to make things happen, not just like have them happen. We understand, of course, we can't make everything happen, but it's important for us to have agency and for us to have autonomy in our lives and to control what we can control. And so therefore, I have created essentially kind of a hybrid model of strategic patience because the truth is, yeah, it takes time. Things are not, they don't happen as fast as you want, but you don't want to be a sucker about it. And so that means actually developing hypotheses about, well, how long should this take? And what are the signs that it's working or not working? How can I monitor them and adjust accordingly? And, you know, the, the truth is there's a lot of power. If something is going to take five years and you know it's going to take five years and you're monitoring for your progress, you're actually able to weather that a lot better. I mean, you know, would it be better if it was fast? Yes. But you're able to weather that in a way that mostly you couldn't if you thought it was going to take six months and then it's not happening, it's not happening, that's when people give up and they give up prematurely and it means that they are not able to accomplish their dreams. You give such wonderful and tangible examples of that in the book. My favorite is the headstand example. 
Yeah, thank you. This this is one of my favorites as well. Uh, it actually comes from Jeff Bezos from one of his shareholder letters to Amazon stockholders. And he tells the story about how a friend of his hired a handstand coach for yoga, uh, which is pretty funny uh, of a concept. But it turns out it, it is actually legit hard to do a handstand. And what the handstand coach told Bezos's friend is that the average person kind of guesstimates that it'll take about two weeks of practice in order to be able to do a handstand. That is not the case. It turns out it takes about six months of daily practice to be able to do a yoga handstand. And so, you know, the lesson I think for all of us is that unless we are thoughtful and deliberate, it is easy to wildly over or underestimate what is going to be necessary for something. And we really have to be aware of that. We have to check our assumptions and be thoughtful because if you think something's going to take two weeks and it ends up taking six months, which is a factor of 12 difference, you're going to give up. You are going to get discouraged. And that's true whether your goal is writing a book, whether it's being featured in a high-profile publication, whether it's building a new career. And so developing that strategic patience is a really important prerequisite to being able to persevere and succeed. So many wonderful insights in your book, The Long Game. I'm looking forward to hearing back from our listeners when they read it. So everyone should check it out. It will be everywhere. So we don't need to go through where your book will be, but where are you if people want to follow up with you? Thank you, Bobby. I appreciate it. Well, the best place to find me and also about 700 free articles on my website is doryclark.com. And for people who are interested in the concept of playing the long game and becoming a more strategic and long-term thinker, I do have a free resource, which is the Long Game Strategic Thinking Self-Assessment. And folks can get it for free at doryclark.com slash the long game. Thank you so much and continued success. Thanks, Bobby. Great to be here. Okay, did any of you think that it took that long to learn how to do a handstand? Would you hire a coach to teach you that? Yeah, me too. Dory is so great. I actually went to her website after the interview to get some of her extra materials. Very much worth making the effort, everyone. Highly recommend. So many highlights from the interview, but the big takeaway for me was really that last part about strategic patience. Sometimes things just take time. And if you don't have the right mindset, or in some cases, we don't have the resources to go the distance, we need to get honest about where we are spending our time and the best way to be spending our time. And I have definitely been hit up by people very aggressively to make an introduction to other people way too early. So that whole thing really resonated with me. I mean, a year, it sounds like a long time, but time goes pretty quickly and you can't force a relationship. There's so much more in Dory's latest book, The Long Game. She wasn't kidding. I really did read it intensely and I do plan to reference the book a lot. There's a lot of good stuff there. Everyone, please be in touch. Let me know what resonated with you on this interview and let me know what more you want to hear on the podcast. DM me on Instagram at bobbyrebell one And of course, if you want to hear more from me, I would love for you to join my newsletter. Just go to my website, bobbyrebell.com and sign up there. Big thanks to the long game author, Dory Clark, for helping us all be financial grownups. Money Tips for Financial Grownups is a production of BRK Media, LLC. 
Editing and production by Steve Stewart. Guest coordination, content creation, social media support, and show notes by Ashley Wall. You can find the podcast show notes, which include links to resources mentioned in the show, as well as show transcripts, by going to my website, bobbyrebell.com. You can also find an incredible library of hundreds of previous episodes to help you on your journey as a financial grown-up. The podcast and tons of complimentary resources associated with the podcast is brought to you for free, but I need to have your support in return. Here's how you can do that. First, connect with me on social media at bobbyrebell1 on Instagram and bobbyrebell on both Twitter and on Clubhouse, where you can join my Money Tips for Grownups Club. Second, share this podcast on social media and tag me so I can thank you. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Reading each one means the world to me. And you know what? It really motivates others to subscribe. You can also support our merch shop, grownupgear.com, by picking up fun gifts for your grown-up friends and treating yourself as well. And most of all, help your friends on their journey to being financial grown-ups by encouraging them to subscribe to the podcast. Together, we got this. Thank you for your time and for the kind words so many of you send my way. See you next time. And thank you for supporting Money Tips for Financial Grownups.